I want to come home from work with something other than bits and bytes and pieces of paper and a track record. I want to have something so that I can say, here is something tangible that I did today. Making things is really something that is not for the faint of heart. And everything takes so much longer and costs so much more money than anybody expects. Um, you, you hear that, but it, but it, it is not, uh, not, not to be taken lightly. This is the ProCo 360 podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting ProCo 360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs. My guests have built very successful businesses with team members and collaborators who also love all that Colorado has to offer. Today's episode is with Andrew Coors, founder and CEO of Steelhead Composites, a company that has designed and now manufactures pressure vessels that hold compressed gases like hydrogen and helium for all kinds of advanced industries like aerospace, alternative fuel vehicles, even submarines. Composite materials enable lighter weight and have other advantages for gas storage and transport, so innovation has been well received in what otherwise I'd kind of think is kind of a boring business, making tanks. So customers agree so much that Steelhead Composites is scaling fast, raising millions of dollars to fund its growth, to support R&D and capabilities expansion now to produce tens of millions of dollars in orders. So Andrew, thanks for joining me on Proco 360. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be here. Yeah, and you know, we met uh, through David Pritchard, our mutual friend of Denver Angels. So we'll give him a shout out. Definitely. Yeah. So let's start with sort of a quick overview. I gave a short one. You can probably give us a better one of Steelhead Composites. So Steelhead Composites was a, a, an idea that some investors had with me. And that was that let's take the revolution that's happening in sporting goods using carbon fiber to lightweight things like kayak paddles and boat shells and bring it to industrial products. Um, and just so happened that this these innovations put us at the right place in the right time to be relevant to the new space economy, as well as this uh, energy transition that we're in the midst of. Yeah. So is it basically just about weight, you know, reduction of weight? It's about using advanced materials to to lower weight, increase safety for products that are the, the, that are critical for these new economies. And And so the early product must have been interesting because, you know, you don't just go about creating a new, maybe you did, you just started, what did you do? Start with a cylinder and start wrapping carbon around it and see what would happen? The technology has been around since the original space station. The idea of this advanced paper mache where you take a huh. metal or a plastic bottle and you reinforce it with Kevlar or fiberglass or, or carbon fiber. So the, the idea wasn't new. We wanted to bring it into hydraulics initially which again, you, you said is not a very interesting industry, and, <laughs> and it wasn't. Um, but it, it's where we got our foothold and developed the expertise for the, the, the different products we started rolling out over the last few years. So hydraulics, meaning what, the cylinders that contain pressurized like oil and stuff? Exactly. Huh. The, the, the cylinders or, or, or the accumulators. The, the original um, customer was a regenerative braking company that, that, that needed to store braking energy hydraulically to reduce fuel consumption for large vehicles. So why would they, were they interested because you were going to keep the weight down and that would help them become a, have a more efficient product or what was the problem you were solving? If you're trying to solve fuel economy, it is all about weight. Yeah. Because 
if you have a very heavy hydraulic unit in a vehicle that you're trying to increase fuel economy, that's two steps forward, one step back. Mm -hmm. So uh, using carbon fiber, we achieve about one-fifth the weight for the same pressure. But there's other benefits as well, such as safety. Well, what do you mean by safety? Are they less likely to like explode or hurt people or something like that? They are. And, and when they do, they don't fail catastrophically. When you have a, a steel tank that goes boom, yeah. you get shrapnel. Yeah. With ours, the, the carbon fiber keeps everything pretty much contained. And you so get it a, has a slow leak instead of like an explosion or something when it fails? That's right. It's a leak before a burst. Ah. Well, I could see where that's an advantage too, especially if you're on a space shuttle or something like that, right? You, st you still don't want it to go bad. Well, yeah. no. Yeah. And, and, and maybe we can talk later about some of the... The, the, the safety and the quality that we have to go through, because it's, it's part of the interesting I, evolution, yeah. but, but, but it is a, um, it, they're designed not to fail, but when they do fail, uh, they, they fail in a more benign way than traditional mm. um, heavy steel vessels. Yeah, I can imagine a lot of industries where explosions are a problem and slow failure is a much, you know, much less of a problem. I, I'm always fascinated by founders of companies that require a lot of expensive innovation. I mean, expensive testing, expensive proof of concept compared to like software where you create this quick, minimal, uh, minimally viable product, right? <laughs> I mean, is there such a thing as a minimally viable product when you're like building a container that right can explode? Yes and no. I, um, I had no idea getting into it how, how much of a, of a never-ending loop of additional equipment, additional testing, additional capital expenditure I was getting into. Uh, it's all been very, very effective and led to some you know, pretty good return on investment for the, that equipment, but it is never-ending. Yeah. So go back a little bit to when you were first creating this product and this, this, I guess the origin story. I mean, what happened? You, a few guys were drinking beer and said, well, look at this cool carbon fiber. What else can we do with it? Or what actually happened? I think every story in my life involves beer. <laughs> well, look at your family name, right? right. Of course it does. <laughs> the Coors family, but part of the, the curse of being part of a beer family. Uh, my story is a bit different. My, um, my background was investments. And during the Great Recession, um, it just wasn't fun anymore. It was really, really stressful. And I, I woke up one day, and I, maybe more than one day, but I decided I want to make something. I want to come home from work with something other than bits and bytes and pieces of paper and a track record. I want to have something so that I can say, here is something tangible that I did today. I have done something. And I know a lot of us have hobbies and, we, and we, we do that outside of work, but I decided to quit finance, quit what I had spent hmm. my entire education and professional career developing a reputation for and go do something completely new. So I get that. I think it's super cool. It's just, how did you make the leap from, I want to do something new to let's wrap carbon around plastic bottles? And, and this is where, um, where the family does get involved. Up until that point, I had been not involved in the Coors family or businesses um, at all. I had done things. I was in San Diego. I was doing things in a different way. But the, mm -hmm. the family had an idea of expanding their capabilities and other materials. Um, Coors Tech, which is a sister company of Coors, or yeah. was originally. The ceramics. The ceramics yeah. company. Mm -hmm. 
and they wanted to to start investing in other advanced materials. And an advanced material that they did not have capabilities in was carbon fiber. So when they were looking for someone to run some of these efforts to do um, to, to expand their portfolios, huh. they, they found an investment guy in San Diego who had the right last name yeah. <laughs> and was also having a, a, a career crisis and wanted uh, to do something more physical. That makes sense. I mean, you didn't know what you were doing. So I'm going to ask you a question about that in a minute. First, I want to remind listeners, this is ProCo360, named Best Denver Podcast three years running, and this year named Best Colorado Business Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. My guest today is Andrew Coors of Steelhead Composites. Thanks to our sponsors, First Bank, and really thanks to First Bank. I appreciate their alignment with Colorado's entrepreneurs and small business owners. Also, thanks to Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, and Digital Frontier Printing. Thanks, finally, to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and ProCo360. Now, getting back to Andrew Coors, who didn't know anything about this business other than that he wanted to make something. So what's what's a cool, specific story of something that went crazy wrong as you were getting started and just figuring this out? Making things is hard. Making money is harder. <laughs> but uh, there have been some, some really crazy stories that, that have been involved in, in making a product from new. And not only making a product, starting a company that makes something that really is novel and, and trying to do it in a different way. I would say the craziest thing we ever did was we got a call out of the blue from a uh, from a company that wanted to us to manufacture champagne bottles, and a champagne bottle is a pressure vessel. Yeah, and and they wanted to have the largest champagne bottles in the world, oh. and <laughs> I made the mistake of thinking that would be a fun project, and we did it. And if you um, if you happen to come into my office, you'll see these champagne bottles that are about four feet tall. Made of carbon fiber? Well, we, we, we made those just out of, out of aluminum, but we used oh. our same manufacturing <laughs> that we used to make the, the bottles that we reinforce for this. It was a, uh, a huge distraction, um, a waste of time, but a really fun story. Yeah. You know, and that is so interesting because as you grow and build capability, you really have to filter yourselves against going all different directions, right? I mean, isn't that a hard thing? It's really hard for me because I, I find it fun. Yeah. <laughs> and when you have these, these challenges that, that are fun, it can distract you from the, the reason you run a business, which is to, you know, to make a difference, to, to have employees and, and, and to grow and make money. Yeah. Ultimately, you have to make money. And, you know, that's, that's one of the questions when, that I always have about somebody who invents something because it's one thing to invent it. It's another thing to create it in a way that through manufacturability, you can sell it for a profit. Right. So how do you filter that into the and, and when do you filter that into your process? We try to do it systematically, but but like everything, personalities get involved and priorities of, of what people are interested in. Like when the owner says, let's build a big ass champagne bottle. That's exactly right. <laughs> and the engineering team is, well, so why are we doing this? Huh. I'm like, because well, it's champagne and that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but it is. It, it's and there is no crystal ball. So, so being a new company, we had the advantage or the disadvantage of most of our, our early customers were also startup companies as well. 
So when we chose to go different down different product lines and different roadmaps for our product development, we were intrinsically investing in our customers because uh, I'm groaning here. That just sounds like a bucket of crap. You can get pulled into all kinds of crazy ideas with companies that may or may not even be able to succeed. But the awesome part is if they succeed, we succeed with them. Yeah. Because we're designed in. Oh, and yeah. Huh. Just like it took us longer than we ever expected to, to get to where we are today, and we're not where we want to be. We're, we're still growing rapidly. Um, our customers have gone through the same thing. We're just seeing projects that we started five years ago get, going to the market now. Yeah, but do, you're, do you want to be in the investment, you know, the startup, investing in startups business? Because ultimately, you're a startup with investors in you. And now as you take on all these other startups as clients, I mean, that could be a house of cards. It could be. And that's why we try <laughs> <laughs> So that's where diversification comes in, just like an investment. Yeah. So so, so we become an, a mutual fund of companies that are doing things in the new space economy wow. and in innovative industries with the expectation that some will succeed and some will fail and a, an expectation as well that, that we'll have some of these successes that will bring us up to uh, leadership in the, in these really exciting markets. So if you create, you're creating, I mean, you're creating products now that, that go into space, that go into submarines, that go into aircraft, all kinds of things. Right. right. So, and these are for startups. So the idea is that as those markets boom, you'll be built into their, to their future. Is that the, the deal? That, that is, that is. And, and it's not only startups that we're selling to, we sell to I think I counted 17 five, Fortune 500 companies. Ah, great. But yeah. it's the startups are the ones that can go from ordering five to ordering 500,000 hmm. quickly as, as yeah. they have successes. The larger companies, they, they, they generally move at a, a, a time scale that's, pace, that, that, yeah. that's not uh, congruent with what uh, our investors expect in terms of return. Wow. That's interesting. I've actually never interviewed somebody who whose investors want them to essentially propel other startups through their own, you know, internal invention. I, I haven't heard that before. I, I, I wouldn't say the, our investors are, are looking for that, but I think the only way we can get the returns that our investors expect is by taking some risk mm -hmm. in developing product for yeah. so, so some, some companies that are doing novel and, exciting yeah. things do you ask your investors do you go to them and say and because funding outside funding has played a big role for you right to build your business yeah it has i mean do you go to them and say what do you think investors uh board members and so forth you know we need to invest a quarter of a million dollars to develop a prototype for a company that's launching do you do you ask them their opinion we do and we, we inform them and we're yeah. Uh, it, it's very rare for us to spend that type of money for one customer, but we'll develop a product line when we see it applicable to what we determine to have to, to be trends. Yeah. And and you have raised several million dollars, right, to mm -hmm. fund your business and your growth. Um, what was that process like for you? Are these closely held uh, friends, family, closely held investors that you know? It was initially just me. So uh, I took the company over about three years ago. Mm. I bought the company out and I was funding it um, individually and then brought in some friends and family and determined that uh, the, the opportunity we had in front of us was just too large to bootstrap. And our biggest risk was not 
not investing enough to have products that are relevant towards the, 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 these two of the biggest mega trends I've ever seen. And uh, for a small mm. little Colorado company yeah. to, to be at the epicenter of the energy transition and beyond um, many of the, the, the named missions that are going to space um, is something more than, than we could bootstrap. So I went out and I, and I, I raised some money through, through mostly angel, uh, high net worth individual and family offices so far. Yeah. So how much can you give us a ballpark of kind of how much money has gone into this pre outside investment than post outside investment? So post outside investment, we've, we're at about $12 million yeah. that have been put into it. Cause you need a, you need a lot of specialized equipment and all this. You just can't build some of these things without significant investment, right? And our main uh, use of funds is uh, product certification. Huh. Especially on the hydrogen side. So hydrogen is one of these these uh, new things that have been around forever. Yeah. But, but it seems like it's happening now. We've had thousands, and I'm not exaggerating, thousands of companies coming to us looking for hydrogen storage for zero emission projects of all shapes, colors, and yeah. sizes. But each of those uh, is in a different regulatory regime. They all need independent. What's it cost to get a tank certified? It depends. It depends well, on sure. the size and the pressure. Well, I mean, you're talking about $1,000 or $100,000. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> okay. That, that, that it's a, it all depends. And then it's up to us to determine what is the roadmap that we want to have. Do we want to, where do we want to be, where, where do we want our market share to be? And we've determined we want to have our market share be in uh, e-aircraft and in the marine environment, where we hmm. want to be number one or two market share in the world. Um, we've also gotten quite a, a bit of traction in stationary storage and uh, backup power and grid stabilization mm. and microgrids. Meaning, meaning you put or your customers use your tanks to store massive amounts of hydrogen for like a backup generator for a hospital or for some production facility or whatever. Or, or, or in a microgrid. There's this um, this quite a large trend right now of what do you do with your excess solar and wind yeah. as you go to a more and more renewable energy ecosystem? You need a place to, to store that energy. And there's really not a whole lot of technologies that have the cost advantages and the benefits of duration that hydrogen has. So you're using your excess solar to break apart water, mm -hmm. storing that hydrogen, then running it through a fuel cell, you know, a different season or different time of the day to to, to power your batteries or recharge your batteries. Yeah, where the byproduct then is water. The byproduct is water. Yeah, That's exactly right. Yeah. How interesting. I didn't realize that excess storage was being, or excess energy was being used in that way. That's pretty cool. Really cool. It, it is one of those things that, that we're seeing that being a, a, a one of the mega trends, hmm. that, that there is a, a drive to go 100% renewable, but you can't do that without massive amounts of energy storage. Well, and, and so if you have excess storage from wind or excess storage from, from solar, why not use that to split, to split hydrogen from water and then deliver water back? Why not? It's a lot that's, more economical than batteries. That's super cool. I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. This episode is with Andrew Coors, founder and CEO of Steelhead Composites. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. By the way, I've been listening to um, Simon Sinek's book called The Infinite Game. Hey, you're nodding. It's a spectacular uh, sort of 
thought-provoking review on sort of the mindset of business today. I've been enjoying it. Yeah. If you, you've, you're nodding. I, 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 yeah, I have, I've read it. And it's, it's, it's so topical because every day I, wanted, I want to be at the end of the game, but, mm-hmm. but you never are. Yeah. It just is this, this, you can't stop the cycle. No. And, and in fact, you know, I think Cynic's main point is that you can run a company even either thinking of finite goals, which change the way you make decisions or this infinite game that he's called it. Right. Exactly. And, you know, as a, as a guy who's uh, changed careers, I suppose, does that change your, also your perspective on finite versus sort of long range thinking? I think as humans, we, we want to have finite goals. We want to finish the marathon. Yeah. But it, 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 it's a challenge because you, there never really is an end. Well, and especially as you're talking about connecting with what you call megatrends, these massive emerging markets around energy and space. I mean, do you think of or how do you think of your role at Steelhead Composites sort of within these massively emerging trends? Maybe like the picks and shovels. We just want to be part of it. Huh. We're not driving the innovation, but we're enabling it. Yeah, and and you have to still decide. Even in those massive things you mentioned, massive markets, you decided to be in marine, and you, there was another aer- aerospace. Aerospace, right? So you still you get you said thousands of companies have reached out to you. Your sales team must say we got to get everything. Let's take it all, and you must have to, as a CEO, say no. You know, we have. Well, how? What is there? A filter you use? We have to discuss it on a weekly basis. Mm. These markets are quite dynamic, and we don't have infinite capital to go after, get all the certifications of all the products of all the sizes for all the markets. Are you, is that really is is certifications really that much of a, a constraint in your world? Uh, so especially back to, back to the high, well, any of the pressurized gases, but hydrogen in particular. We still have this Hindenburg hangover effect where <laughs> it explodes. It, it, it explodes and. Our, our vessels hold thousands of PSI, or 5,000 or 10,000 PSI of hydrogen. And I don't think any customer in their right mind would buy one that hasn't been validated mm-hmm. um, every which way from Sunday to, to, to ensure that it's safe. So you have to decide, as the CEO or your team has to decide, how many SKUs, essentially, of bottles can we, do we want to produce? Right, because each one you have to pay to certify, and if right, I mean, exactly. Do you customers saying we only need ten, but we'll pay to certify them? Sometimes, yeah. And that's not our high value customer in general. The high value is higher volume. Higher value is we want something that can sell at a really good margin to many, many customers, mm-hmm. not something that is beholden to one customer. Yeah, yeah. In your reporting. Uh, because we both know uh, Denver Angels, and so I've seen some of your reporting. You know, you carefully watch sales and you watch your pipelines. And as you know, and I know, pipelines can be total BS. I mean, you can have mm. like anybody you, a salesperson talks to is now in your pipeline. So, how do you evaluate pipelines and really plan around them in a way that's useful? Uh, can I answer the, the the question you didn't ask, which is the reporting? So, so the report that you see, that the Denver Angel sees, is something that we were, have been doing internally since the company started. And it was a way to hold every different division and manager accountable. Because if we're not reporting on it internally, you, you don't see 
you, you don't have that accountability and you don't see the progress or the lack of progress towards what the expectations are. But in terms of the, uh, the, the, the pipeline itself, yeah. that, that, that's a hard one because we have $500 million of outstanding quotations right now. And I know we're not going to get $500 million of orders. Yeah, There are companies out there that will talk about that as a $500 million pipeline, but it's not. So, 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 so this uh, the pipeline is this combination of uh, orders that we have and uh, contracts that we're under and maybe some very high probability um, orders we're going to get. Yeah, yeah. Things that look reasonable. So you, you have a filter on that big number, don't you, in your head or among your team, right? A right. realism, a realism filter or <laughs> something like that. It, and, and, and that opportunity is real. We yeah. just we, we just can't serve. We can't be everything to everybody like we've been talking about. Yeah. So how do we get that down to a place where we can execute on execute on it in our uh, in our facilities? Yeah. Now today, especially you know, we've got constraints on materials, delivery, people, all kinds of logistical challenges that everybody's talking about now post COVID and all that. Right. So, do you end up having to say no? to some things that you wish you could, or is that just part of your filtering process? I would have to say uh, there are a lot of really great opportunities we have to say no to just because we don't have the the, the, the labor, the capacity, and the capital to execute on it. Yeah. Um, I was about to ask you which is the worst one you've had to leave on the table. Maybe I won't go there. You probably can't answer that one. I, I, I can't. But yeah. Just because it, it, it varies by the day. Yeah. Um, and we don't have a crystal ball. But uh, but th these markets are quite exciting and they're quite uh, dynamic. That's cool. Now, one of the things I really love, of course, that's the whole nature of the show, is that you're a Colorado-based company. You know, you went to California, but here you are coming back to home to the Coors uh, Legacy in Colorado. You know, it, it, do you get asked why you're in Colorado, why you're not moving to some other locations or anything else like that? Well, I kind of cheated by being a Coors um, but by, by being a fifth generation of a of a of a Colorado family, there there's a gravitational pull to yeah. to, to Colorado. <laughs> so I, I'm a fifth generation of a beer and ceramics company, but a first generation on a composites company, and so it's it, there's nowhere I'd rather be. Um, do people say like, what the hell? Why are you in composites? Like, how come? Like, do they feel a disconnect, or do they just say this is cool? You know, we got a whole new direction. I, it, it's all over the board. Coors is associated with beer, and 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 the expectation is that that I am in beer. But why would I want to uh, destroy something I love by working in it? I'd rather just drink it. <laughs> and I love that. So a couple of questions in wrapping up. Your web videos show you sort of with this scientist look. I'm looking at you now across the table. Got some gray in your beard. You're calm. You got a slightly, if you'll let me say, a slightly nerdy persona. But that's not really your background. I mean, you're an economist, which some people would say is also kind of nerdy. VC guy, you know, but not really an inventor and CEO. So have you tried to change sort of your persona to reflect now being a CEO and an inventor? Not really. I think there's an appreciation for the, for the, the more humble, the, 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 I'm not the epicenter of the company. It's not a one man show. It's just, it's a, 
it's a combination of some amazing engineers and, uh, and, and a great team that gets this done. I just happened to raise some of the money to keep the wheels running. So what is what is your role then as as CEO? You've you've said you're not really the inventor, uh, and you're not an engineer. So what's your role? The, the, the role is to keep the company capitalized and to mm. to, to choose those those directions for for our product development that that make the most sense and are most consistent with our culture, and uh, and have the right people around the table to get it done. Yeah. So. As becoming now a CEO, leaving your your finance world in the in the past and so forth, and becoming a a CEO of a startup, inventing things. I mean, what do you know now, several years in, that you wish you'd known earlier? Manufacturing's hard. Making things is really something that is not for the faint of heart, and everything takes so much longer and costs so much more money than anybody expects. Um, and you, you hear that, but it, but it, it is not, uh, not not to be taken lightly. Is there anything you're thinking of specifically, you know, as you think of that? Any example come to mind of something like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea? Just product development. Going from a prototype to a, uh, a fully manufactured product that has been validated and is being in serial production is not something you do overnight. You don't go from here's one to here's a hundred without uh, some, some major hiccups. Yeah. So how, what's that take? I know it, I know it varies. I know it's, you're going to say it varies and all that. I get it. But I mean, if you decide you want to create a new version of a, of a container from the time you conceptualize it to the time you're able to deliver mass quantities, what are you looking at? Time-wise? Six to nine months. Yeah. And how much money? Uh, Probably five hundred thousand dollars per, per per new product family. Yeah, new. So it's per family. They're not per size, per SKU, and but right. still, that's a lot of money. It is. And so I can see where now this is a revelation that had you known about it earlier, you might have started raising money sooner, but or gone into software. Yeah, maybe that could have been. So when you think too back, I mean, you've changed since you you said you wanted to go from doing finance to making things. Um, you know, have your personal values been constant through this or have your personal values changed too as you've moved into this world i've i've developed a such a passion for clean tech and 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 these technologies that are critical for for decarbonization and 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 um, analyzing this energy transition that that we as a globe are rightfully finally taking seriously mm-hmm. so my 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 values went from being on the outside watching this and hoping that it happened to being mm. uh, I'm a player on the field in this 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 really exciting uh, energy transition that's kind of f- a fun thing i would think and more is it more gratifying for you it's it's amazing it's amazing i have to pinch myself sometimes mm. when when i realize how relevant this small colorado company is to this global uh, these global ambitions for, for climate. Wow. So do you think as you filter products, you're going to continue filtering them towards that end? Most definitely. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Let's wrap up on that note. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. Today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Andrew Coors, CEO of Steelhead Composites. Andrew, thanks for an interesting conversation. I didn't realize, you know, 
the, the beauty really in in developing products that sort of feed your soul and allow you to deliver those to the world. That's cool. It's amazing. Listeners, glad you're here on Proco 360 where we say live, work, love Colorado because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, please submit a review in your app. That's a huge help. Thanks again to show sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, Digital Frontier Printing, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado. You can never do this, I think, if you were to, to wake up one day and say, I want to do X, Y, Z. Just you know, navigating the currents and ending up doing something that is pretty meaningful.